Thomas, why don't we show the video, buddy? We'll start out. We're, we're doing a series on lofty thoughts, talking about the Beatitudes, and we're just going to launch in with the video clip this morning, and we'll take off from there. Some will stumble so that we will be refined and purified for his purpose. When you plant melon seeds, you harvest melons. When you plant bean seeds, you get beans. When you plant seeds of faith, you find God. I want to thank you for helping my babies and for helping me. This is our sister of the firing squad. China has seen many things that some of us would call miracles since the revolution. He has given me a message for our sister. Our Lord has asked you to trust him for one day at a time. Days would become weeks, and weeks into months, and months would fall into years, one day at a time. been talking about lofty thoughts, attitudes that lead to greater altitudes. I must admit that this one here is probably the toughest. I don't expect a lot of response of hooping and hollering and being excited about what we're going to talk about today because it's just not going to be real easy. I'll be real honest about that. But Jesus never promised us it would be easy. He promised us he would be with us. and He promised us he would walk with us. You know, I'm amazed at... uh, the, the cost people are willing to pay for the gospel. You know, it's really neat to me. I've been, I, was, I, told, I told the first crew, we, you've watched all the, Bill referred to the, all, the, all the news reports and stuff about Haiti and stuff. Uh, we, were, we were out to eat Thursday evening and sitting in this restaurant and in either corner, right here and kind of right behind us, were two flat screen TVs. 
as we sat there, CNN was playing, and they were had all the you know everything. Everything was about Haiti, though. I mean, for the, the, the solid hour we were there, we're probably that's all. I don't remember how to even seen very many commercials. It was just live, constant, blah 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 blah. And we're sitting there in the restaurant, and I'm kind of just kind of half glancing at the TV. And you can't, you know, they don't have the volume turned up, so you really can't hear anything anyway. You know, you just read the ticker and kind of keep track of something. And we're sitting there, and I kind of look at the screen. I went, I turned back around because this one was closer. I thought, is that who I think it is? And Rachel said, well, who, who, I said, I think that's Mark Stewart. Well, some of you don't know who Mark Stewart is. Mark Stewart is the former lead singer of a Christian band named Audio Adrenaline. I said, Mark Stewart on CNN. And all of a sudden, across the bottom of the screen, here comes his name, Mark Stewart. Runs missionary in Jock Mel Haiti. They pull back, and there are all these little kids around Mark Stewart. I don't even know since disband. They don't. They don't travel anymore. They don't produce records or anything like that. They, they, some of them are involved in the music industry still, but they've 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 turned their focus. They do a lot of mission work. It's like there they are. They're running. A, they're running a, a thing in Haiti. There's they're on CNN. There's Mark Stewart. They're extending the hands of Jesus to orphan kids in the middle of this mess. And I get up this morning and and kind of. Just getting around, getting ready, and different things, and uh, click on Fox News for a minute, see what else is happening. And there, of all people, is Gerardo Rivera interviewing a dude from Samaritan's Purse right there in Port au Prince. On Friday, Brownie, Pearl Brown and I were going around doing some visiting and taking some communion to shut in people and different things like that. We were driving down the road. And I, we were talking about Haiti and the whole nine yards, and I said, you know, there, there, there's this whole discrepancy about what they're going to do. How, they got all this stuff sitting on the ground, supplies are already there, how they're going to distribute it, how they're going to do it safely, who they're going to trust to take care of it. And I thought, man, there are all kinds of ministries and missionaries and all sorts of people there. Why don't they just let those people who are used to tan on that kind of stuff just take care of it? They know what they're doing. They have interaction with these people. These people know them. Let them do it. And I said, man, you know, we, we've... we've, we've uh, we know some people who were close there and stuff. And I said, you know, people like Bill Turkovich. He's in Dominican Republic. He, he works there in Dominican Republic. And I said, well, you know, some people like Bill. They trust him. And, you know, I thought, man, I'm not talking to Bill. I'm going to call him this afternoon and see what's going on. Well, lo and behold, see if we can help in any way, get involved, you know, whatever's going on, if he's got an opportunity to help out there because we know we can trust him with whatever we do, you know. And so we're driving straight down the road. Not 15 minutes later, man, I look, my phone starts ringing. I look down at my phone. There's a 918 area code, Oklahoma. And I thought, could that be Bill Turkovich? Because he's from Tulsa. I mean, that's where all, all his cell phone numbers and stuff are from. Or from Tulsa, even though he's in Dominican. And I hit talk. Brother Aaron! I said, Bill! I was just talking about you, man! He said, well, good. And he started talking to me. They've secured a compound an hour and a half outside of Port-au-Prince. They're trying to get two trucks there. I want to know if we'd be involved in trying to help get them things there. And I'm like, dude, we're there already. I was just talking about you. And I'm, whatever, what can we do? How can we help? And so we made some connections and, and, and are involved right now in supplying stuff to help, help these people with people we know can help them. His biggest prayer is this. We need security because we start passing stuff out. People are desperate, man. It might get really crazy. And I thought about the cost it takes for people to do what God's called them to do. Bill is, is, is trying to do what God's called him to do, trying to, he has no guarantee that he doesn't open up that thing and some militia shows up with machetes and machine guns. They've already ransacked the UN things, they're already there in place, they're, they're, they're destroyed. All the supplies that UN would have, would have given out have been taken already. They've, they've 
forcibly going in and taking all that stuff already. He was telling me on the phone. And so that's why they're trying to get as many supplies in there as they can. So in this, we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about people who who just given up everything. Mark Stewart could have stayed nice and happy in the United States. He made a good, decent amount of money being a Christian rock dude, man. They were one of the, the premier rock bands of their day. He could have stayed there, but where does he find himself? He finds himself serving orphans in an orphanage in Jockmel, Haiti, during a great catastrophe. Is that amazing or what? Think about people who are doing that, people who are on the ground right now doing that kind of thing. Our Christianity is not something that's of ease. It's not something that should be of comfort. It's not something that should be of convenience. It should be something of calling and tenacity and, and, and things that we, just, we, we cannot imagine ourselves doing anything but serving Christ at whatever cost. That's true Christianity. And, I, and we, I show you this clip because this is a true story. I thought about, man, I could pull out some things, because we're going to talk about some, some, some not very fun stuff, about Christians who's, who've gone on ahead of us and suffered greatly. And you could think of Jesus automatically, you know, he suffered big time. And you could, we, could, we could think of Paul and Peter and all those guys. But, you know, last week I referred to Star Trek, you know, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Remember that? But I started thinking today, so many times we think of, in our, in our Western idea of how Christianity is, we think that persecution and cost for our discipleship and stuff is something that happened a long time ago in a place that's far, far away. Don't we? That's, not, that's foreign. We don't, I mean, most of the time, all of, most of us aren't sitting here going, dude, there could be guns show up in the back door right there. Just because we're here serving Jesus. We don't think about that. But see, in China, in the 20th century, that story, that's a true story about a lady named Nora Lamb who gave her heart to Christ. They called her our fire, our fire what do they call her? Fire squad sisters, is that what he called her? Because it just seems before that, she was in prison for her faith. She's standing before the firing squad. And just before they get ready to pull the trigger, this big light shows up, and the, the, the guard and the military don't know what to do, and so she gets to go home. And there she goes right back to the thing that got her in jail in the first place. And that doesn't make sense to us, you know what I mean? And Christianity, this idea of attitudes that lead to greater attitudes are the things that don't make sense to us. I want to read you something I got a few months ago. Listen to this. Talk about... Just trying to alter the way we think. People are unreasonable. It's called anyway. Some of you may have gotten this, maybe in an email or something. I forget where I got it. Anyway, people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. That sounds really relevant to Haiti, doesn't it? Give the world the best you've got, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. And so many times we, we, would, we get burnt a couple of times in some of these scenarios and we just quit, wouldn't we? 
We'd stop loving anyway. We'd stop doing good anyway. We'd stop succeeding anyway. We'd stop helping people anyway, wouldn't we? This is natural for us to want to just stop. But the, the, the principles of the kingdom cause us to want to do differently. We've been reading in Matthew 5. I mean, these, these are the paradoxes we've been continuing with. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That doesn't make sense. If you're poor in our idea, you're, you're not very blessed. God blesses those who mourn. They will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. They'll inherit the earth. Usually the humble get beat up and trampled upon and all that sort of thing and get climbed over on the corporate ladder. But in the kingdom, it's a whole different story. We talked about the decisions that we make. It's got to be things that go on the inside, not things that are going on the outside, how we could alter our lives by our focus upward towards the kingdom of heaven and not getting caught on things down here. That God promises blessing. Blessed, it says, which means divine joy and perfect happiness by being poor. Doesn't make sense. By being in mourning, it doesn't make sense. By being humble, it doesn't make sense to us. God says that these are antidotes for our real sin problem, which has to do everything to do with pride. We just keep putting ourselves in a place where we recognize who we really are, and God's able to move in our lives. We talked about Matthew 5, 6 through 8. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be satisfied. If we're hungry and thirsty, we don't consider that a place of blessing usually. Right now, when we look at from, a, from an outside eye, those people in Haiti do not have running water. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't, that doesn't seem like a place of blessing. But in the kingdom, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that is the, one of the most best, blessed places you could be and best places you can be. It doesn't make sense to us. God, God blesses those who are merciful. Usually the merciful get, get, get beat up pretty bad. They just keep getting used and abused. They keep forgiving and people keep using them. And, but the Bible says if you're merciful, you will obtain mercy. You'll be shown mercy. Verse 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Usually, and this is what we're going to get to, usually in our day and age, if you're pure in heart and you've got good convictions like Patrick was just talking about on, on the work site and stuff, you're the one who gets made fun of. But the Bible says if you're pure in heart, you shall see God. Who cares whether audience you have? Who cares who else sees you or pays attention to you? God sees you if you're pure in heart. Who cares? And so we get, we get mocked at and laughed at. We think that's the big deal in, our, in, in, in America. We're thinking, oh, I couldn't make a stand at work because that could get me in trouble. The people every day around this world are standing up for the cause of Christ and the gospel's being propagated. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. We talked about how these three things are the antidote for the lust issues that God talked about in 1 John. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. When you're, when, 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 the pride of life is defeated by spiritual hunger. You keep putting yourself down and keep depleting yourself of, of, of things. There's no room for pride to grow. We talked about the lust of the flesh. Somebody questioned me about this. It's defeated by mercy. How is that so? It's, that's so because James 4 says that the contentions and the frustration and the arguments and things that we have with each other have everything to do with what, the things we desire to have, the lust of our flesh. Here's how we defeat it. When somebody comes at us who, who just wants things, and, and it's, we show them mercy. And that, def, that diffuses that, 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 that competitiveness. It diffuses that, 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 that want for what everybody else has got. It diffuses that, that, that place for contention. and for it just So the lust of the flesh is defeated by mercy. And we talked about the lust of the eyes is defeated by having a pure heart because you're focused and it's only on God and you can't see all the other garbage anyway. You can see him. So we find ourselves at the last two Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. 
And I'm going to read it, and it's not going to be really happy. It's go, we're not going to have, a, we're not going to maybe not giggle a whole lot today. But it's the gospel of Jesus. It's the truth. And we need to hear it. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when, you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. And he says these words and it just fries. I mean, I sit here and think about it. I thought, dude, that's, that's, that's hard. That is so hard. In the New Living Translation, it says, be happy about it, exclamation point. I'm having a hard time remembering the last time something like that just described happened to me and I got happy about it. He didn't even stop there. He says, be very glad, exclamation point. Woo! Is Jesus off his rocker? How do you get happy about all those things, about being lied about, about being mocked, about being persecuted? He goes on to say it. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Wow, those are hard pills to swallow, aren't they? You ever gone, doctor, the doctor's in, sometimes you guys give us those huge pills, you know what I mean? It takes like 16 glasses of water to get it down. Jesus is giving us a couple pills here, man. It's like, dude, I don't know if I can swallow that one. You know what I mean? It's like already, I don't even have it to my mouth yet. My, My throat's like closing off. I feel like a cat who's about to have a hairball. Hair you know what I mean? We have this crazy cat, and she, she would, and every time she, and that little tongue would just stick out just a little bit, just enough so you could see the pig. And before you know it, you hear this. And then somebody's got to clean that mess up. Right now I can feel that happening right here. Trying to swallow those words of Jesus. You know, i got to think about this working for peace and how it's associated for the, for the, 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 the persecution thing, you know. It says workers, working for peace, we are, as workers for peace, we are the posterity of God. We are the children of God. Don't you want to be recognized as somebody who has the attributes of God, the, 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 the character of God living inside of you, that people recognize when you walk into a place that you are a child of God. You act like him. You look like him. You talk like him. You, you, you are responding as he would respond. Don't you want that kind of thing to happen in your life? Listen, when you work for peace, you are that. Because that's why Jesus came. The angels announce his birth, and while they say, we bring you great tidings of great joy, right? Which shall be to all men. What do they say? Which shall be, or what? Goodwill, right? A peace and all that stuff. And and, and, and Luke chapter 1, Jesus starts. That's where Jesus started. This minute, and I thought about all the people who truly work for peace and how they are the ones who look like they get the hammer. Think about Jesus. That's the only reason he came. And what did it get him? It got him 39 stripes minus one. It got him nine-inch nails in his wrists and his feet. It got him a crown of thorns on his head. It got him a, a spear in the side. He was just working for, to bring peace to the human race. That's the only reason he came. I thought of people like, I thought about the, the civil rights movement, you know? You got all that stuff happening, Martin Luther King Jr., you got Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and all that stuff was going on. And who's the guy that gets shot in that scenario? Have you ever read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail? Dude, it was awesome. 
I remember one time Rick Strange, we were talking about it. He said, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll get you some. I said, okay. And, and some ministry was making them available. And I read that. And Martin Luther King Jr., man, he, that was one of the, in letter form, it was one of the best messages I ever heard. And he, boy, he, he, and he didn't cut the church too much slack because people should have been standing up for what was right. And when he turned to, to white brothers and sisters, sometimes they weren't there. They choose to go with the flow. I mean, it was rough. And I thought, dude, of all those guys during that movement who could have got assassinated, who's the one that got it? And think about the history. All the, the, the people who've, who, who've really strove for that are the people who find persecution, like just a commonplace for them. I thought, man, I don't know if I want that or not, but they're recognized as children of God. This is the ministry. That word work for peace, it means to be a peacemaker, to create it, to help be a part of the process of peace, to be pacific. In other words, that's, that's your lifestyle. That's, that, that's a, a character quality. You, you, and you love peace. You, 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 you strive for it always. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Jesus tells us this is the ministry. This is the purpose he gave us. He told us that through Paul. All And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. To bring peace between the parties of God and the human race. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So we may be, may, might be made right with God through Christ. That word reconcile. It means to exist in harmony. Or make, to, to, to make or show to be compatible. To make one consistent with another. To bring peace parties together, allowing for transactions begun, not yet completed. God's called us to create that peace pact between him and others. He's using us as the bridge to do that. Psalm 34, 12 says we're commissioned for peace. Does anyone want to live a life that's long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from the evil and do good. Those are these next lines. Search for peace and work to maintain it. That's Old Testament. Now, it doesn't stop, it's in the New Testament too. Luke 1, 76 or 79. And you, my little son, talking to John the Baptist, Zacharias is speaking, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you prepare the way for the Lord. That's what we're called to do. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Now listen to this, and to guide us in the path of peace. That's what we're called to be a part of, preparing the way for the Lord. Just like when Jesus was coming for the first time, my belief is, and I will talk about it a little bit later, he's going to create a people who will be just like John the Baptist, who will work to prepare the way for the Lord, to make it happen, to create that peace between him and the human race, to be bridges of that peace. Such persons are blessed, Matthew Henry writes, for they have the satisfaction of enjoying themselves by keeping the peace and of being truly serviceable to others by disposing them to peace. They are working together with Christ who came into the world to slay all enmities. Christ came to slay all enmities. Wherever there's enmity between, any, between parties, Jesus wants to work to bring about peace. Did you know that? That's his deal. And to proclaim peace on earth... But the problem with that is when we work to do that often, we're not in a popular place. Bill talked about Pat Robertson. Sometimes you speak the truth, you get hammered. 
The Bible says when righteousness rules in a nation, people are blessed. And when they're not, the opposite is true. And Haiti has had a long heritage, a lineage of giving themselves to voodoo and all sorts of crazy things. And I'm not saying that, again, like Bill, that God made that happen. But sometimes we open the doors for catastrophe and things to go on. And when we, when, the Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. We give him access, he'll wreak havoc. His plan is to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he's doing a great job of that in Haiti right now. Thousands upon thousands of people. Bill Turkovich told me yesterday on the phone, he said, the people they've been talking to, uh, they're close by. I said, even, even as early as Friday, people, you, you have to start wearing masks because the stench is becoming so great. 7,000 bodies in one grave. Still kill and destroy. Still kill and destroy. That's what he does. And then he tries to get people to blame God for it. Anyway. But the good thing about this gospel that we preach is even though we might work for peace, we will find problems. Persecution, though, produces the power of God. Did you know that? All throughout history, when the church has been persecuted, that's when the church has operated with the most tenacity and the most power and the most strength. That's when the church is most distinguishable. Kind of a scary place, but you know what? If we work for the peace of God, we're going to find ourselves in there. We talked last week about Britt Hume. Just telling the truth. Tiger, you ought to try Jesus. Well, brother, that's all I said. Tiger, try Jesus. For, for days. We can't believe you say that. Well, he's a man of conviction. Why would he say what he believed? I don't understand that. Why is this important for us to talk about this? I get this letter from, from, from Armstrong Chiga this week. He took an excerpt of a book, just wanted to pass it along because as, as working in Kenya, he has to deal with Islam a lot. Listen to these words. Why, do, why should we talk about this? Islam is not a religion, nor is it a cult. It is a full, in its fullest form, it is a complete, total, 100% system of life. Islam has religious, legal, political, economic, social, and military components. The religious component is a beard for all the other components. Islam teaches that Islam is to rule the world. Their goal is the Islamization of all countries. When politically correct, tolerant, and cultural diverse societies agree to Muslim demands for their religious privileges, other components creep in as well. As long as the Muslim population remains around or under 2% in any given country, seldom is agitation uh, there through the religious beliefs. And he lists, this study gave a list of countries. This is the case in the U.S., Australia, Canada, China, Italy, and Norway. They list the numbers of Muslims percentage-wise that live there. At 2 to 5%, they begin to proselytize from their ethnic minorities and disaffected groups, often with major recruiting from the jails and among street gangs. Okay? This is happening in Denmark, Germany, United Kingdom, Spain, and Thailand. Again, gives the percentages of Muslim population. From 5% of the population on, they exercise an inordinate influence in proportion to their percentage of the population. And he lists what happens there. Halal is the Islamic food centers. They, they, they demand that the restaurants and supermarkets and stuff begin to abide by those food standards. This is occurring in France, Philippines, Sweden, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Trinidad, and Tobago. At this work, they, 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 they get the ruling government to allow them to rule themselves within their ghettos under Sharia and Islamic law. When Muslims approach 10% of the population, they exercise lawlessness as a means of complaining about their conditions. This is what we've seen in Paris with those riots and things of that nature. 
And it talks about the countries who have those who uprisings and threats that happen. Guyana, India, Israel, Kenya, and Russia all have 10 plus percent Muslim population. Once it reaches 20%, the nation can expect hair trigger rioting, jihad militia formations, sporadic killings, and the burnings of Christian churches and Jewish synagogues, such as in Ethiopia, where it's 32.8%. It goes on and lists several other things. At 40%, widespread massacres happen, chronic terror attacks. At 80%, we see daily intimidation and violent jihad, some state run. And it talks about what that's what's going on in Bangladesh, Egypt, Gaza, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Morocco, Pakistan, blah, blah, blah. When the Muslim population 100%, they will usher in the peace of Dar es Salaam, which I don't know what that is, is the Islamic house of peace. There is peace because everybody is a Muslim. The madrasa are only the school, are the only schools, and the Quran is the only word. This is the case now in Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, and Yemen. Heard those names in the news lately? Here's the scary part. Today, 1.5 billion Muslims make up 22% of the world's population. Okay? But their birth rates dwarf the rates of Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, and all their religions. Due to their birth rates, Muslims will exceed 50% of the world's population by the end of the century, just by sheer birth rate alone. That's not conversions. That's just Muslims having babies. That's the problem in France. You guys keep wondering why Israel keeps giving in to demands? Because... the Muslims are having more babies than Israel, and eventually, if they don't do something, by sheer voting power, without hardly doing anything, they can begin to run Israel. That's why Israel's trying to get this two-state thing going. Why do I say that? Because persecution can be a very real thing. I can remember several years ago, about 1999, 2000, I was reading a book, and about, you guys read it, Jesus Freaks. Have you guys read it? Anybody read that book? And I was up late one night, couldn't sleep. And I was up late one night, grabbed the book, started reading. Which is, you guys remember Little Bear, Little Bear Wheeler? You remember him? He came here several, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. He, he would dress in traditional, he would do like, whatever he was teaching, he would dress like that person. And he would do a teaching, and a lot of times he did things with kids about American history and different things like that. And he, he, he would do that sort of thing, and, and it was always attached to the Christian heritage of America and stuff. He said one of the reasons Christians in America were so, were so committed to their, their beliefs early on, you know what they do? I remember him saying this, and it just fried me. I could not believe it. Common bedtime stories for children in revolutionary America. Fox's Book of Martyrs. How many of you guys are grabbing that off your shelf to go read the little kids before you put them in bed? But we wonder how that generation was able to say, you know what, we're standing up against tyranny. We're going to stand up for what's right. It had become a part of who they were. We're going to stand up for what's right at whatever cost. Jesus Freaks was a book I was reading. It's kind of like it took Fox's Book of Martyrs, took all those old stories of the martyrs, Peter, James, John, all those guys, and all those John Huss and all them, and it it coupled those stories with modern-day things people were suffering for the cause of Christ all over the world, China, Indonesia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, just stories put together by by, by a Christian banditsi talk and the ministry called The Voice of the Martyrs put this book together together. And... um, I remember thinking, man, I remember the Lord telling me one day, as we were sitting, as I was sitting there reading that book that late that night, he said, Aaron, it's not always going to be the way it is now. That was 10 years ago or so. It's not always going to be the way it is now. And terrorism is back on the front page. 
things are happening and we don't understand everything the government's doing and why they're doing it and they're trying to force us into healthcare and trying to do that and, do, and nobody psh, it's on listen we got to be ready to stand up for what's right for what the gospel says and we are blessed when we do that according to Jesus it may not look like blessing it may not feel like blessing but the bible says it's a place of blessing when we stand up for what's right there's a promise of peace in spite of problems. John 16, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He started out there with that promise, with the first beatitude, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He ends with it. This is the last, this is the last beatitude. He spends the next paragraph just kind of describing what it means. And he says, God blesses those who are persecuted for Christ's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have to keep our focus always on it's not about this life. It's about eternity. It's about heaven. Our reward is not here. Our reward is there. If we're going to suffer for good, doing righteousness, that has always got to be our focus. It's not about what happens here. It's about the, the treasure I'm laying up over there. Are you hearing me? Persecuted means to make, to make to run or to flee, to press on, to pursue in a hostile manner, in any way whatever to harass or to trouble or to, to molest one, to be mistreated or to suffer on account of something. Matthew 24, 9 through 14, the disciples have come to Jesus. They said, tell us what it's going to be like when your coming is. And in verse 9, he says these words. Where am I? Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. God says the fuel for the fire of the church is persecution. Things are going to happen. You are going to be arrested. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to face all kinds of things. But in spite of all that, the person who endures to the end, that's the person who will be saved and the gospel will still be preached. They cannot stop it in China right now. The largest church on the planet will exist in China where it is illegal to gather as we are gathering today. There are more Christians in China right now than there are Christians in America. They can't stop it. Persecution won't stop it. They couldn't stop Jesus by killing him. They couldn't stop Paul. They couldn't stop Peter. They couldn't stop John. They couldn't stop James. They cannot stop the movement of God. And true Christianity says, you know what? Jesus, you are everything. It is not about this life. I don't care what difficulty, what trouble, what things. Blessed be your name in the land of suffering. Ah, I'm not quite there yet. I want to be really bad. I want God to look at me one day and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You endured to the end. I'm behind schedule and I... Don't really much care, honestly. It's a calling for us. As I was thinking about this, that word to press on, it reminded me of a place called Adullam. You ever heard of Adullam? It's in the Old Testament. There's this guy named David. He gets pulled out, called out from God, to God for a specific purpose. He's supposed to be king at some point in time. He's following what God wants him to do. He's trying to fulfill the plan of God for his life. And you know what it gets him? It gets him a spear thrown at him during dinner one night. It puts him on the run where he's running for his life. He's like, God, what is the deal with that? Where, what is going? Ah! 
And in this place called Adullam is a cave where he was hiding out. He'd been running from Saul and his guys. At times he was running from the Philistines. And he's just trapped in this thing. And all of a sudden these guys begin to assemble around him. And the neat thing about this story, if you read 2 Samuel 23, as soon as they're in this cave called Adullam, all of a the sudden... They're in this place of pressure. They're in this place of being squeezed by the, by, by, by the things of life and by, by, by just the, the, the circumstances and by the, Satan trying to avert Dave's, David's purpose because he knows through David Jesus is coming and he's trying to stop that. Just like he's trying to stop the work of Jesus in our lives. And David's there in the thing and coming out of that cave, there's this chronicling of these guys called David's mighty men and all the things that they did for the glory of God and for the nation of Israel. And you know what I wondered about that? I think, you know what? God, we need a Dullums in our own lives. The place where the pressure creates the power and the glory of God, where we will not settle for second best. We will only do what God has called us to do. We will do exploits in his name. We will, we will, we will shed off everything that's unnecessary and grow in the things he wants us to grow in. That's what God's calling us to. Doesn't sound like fun, does it? But our inheritance is in in an eternal place. That's going to be really fun. Our hope does not lie here. Our hope is not about this. Persecution produces progress and productivity for the kingdom. It's a paradox. The thing meant to stifle what God is doing only strengthens his work in the believer and in the world. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2 says this. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude. And be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you listen to this words. This next phrase will just, just hit you in the mouth. For if you, are, if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. How many of you want a place where that one little nagging sin you can't seem to get the grip on is finished? Would you like to be there? I know I'd like to be there. When you are physically, when you, are to the, you know what that means? Satan realizes he can only afflict you with your own desires anymore. That's done away with. He's done trying to tempt you with stuff because you're like, dude, I, I'm focused on the kingdom. I don't have time for that stuff. And he realizes if he doesn't stop you quick, he could have fought, he could, he, you're going to do some major damage to his kingdom. And so you know what he does? He pulls out the stops. He causes suffering to come to your life trying to deter you. Peter says right here, if you have, are phys- suffering physically for Christ, you have, been, you have finished with sin. Ah, oh, I want to be there so bad. I get tired of going to God about the same things over and over and over again. Don't you? I want to live a life that brings him glory and honor in every aspect, every arena, everything. I obviously haven't got it done because I have not suffered a whole lot physically yet. You won't spend the rest of your life, Peter says. Peter says, chasing your own desires, you will be anxious to do the will of God. It grows the believer. James 1 through 2 through 4, you guys know that passage of Scripture. If trouble come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. That seems to be the reoccurring theme. When trouble comes, consider it great joy. Because you'll be developed fully and perfect and complete, lacking nothing when you've endured through that. It grows the kingdom. You can't stop the kingdom in per- times of persecution. We proudly tell God, 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 4. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. 
2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so the life of Jesus will be evident in all of our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Without us facing persecution, we will not be able to extend eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist wrote about. I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise, with, uh, raise us with Jesus and present us to himself altogether with you. And all this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, isn't that what we want? There will be great thanksgiving. God will receive more and more glory in the face of persecution. God will receive more and more glory. More and more people will be reached with God's grace. That is, small, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day, Paul writes. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the trouble we, that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So I to see this in action. Let's see a modern-day representation of what Paul just talked about. Would you like to see that? Remember if I show you? We have talk, you, guys, you guys give me a few more minutes? Is it 12.30 already? Give me just a few more minutes. We, 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 will you? Can we take a vote? No, let's not. Show the video. Indonesia is the most densely populated Muslim nation in the world with more than 200 million adherents to the Islamic faith. For the most part, Christians and Muslims lived side by side in peace, until everything changed at the dawn of a new century. Paradise was supplanted by jihad. The violence intensified after the formation of the radical Islamic group Lasker Jihad in January 2000. Many feel God has spared their lives for a reason. Johannes Montanhari is one of them. When 500 jihad troops raided my village, we Christians were overwhelmed. I tried to escape, but they caught up with me. They asked me if I would convert to Islam. They said if I did not become a Muslim, they would kill me. I told my captors I did not want to convert to Islam. I said, just kill me. One of the Laskar jihad troops struck my ear with a samurai sword. Then he sliced into my left shoulder and forearm and back, and finally into the back of my neck. When they were cutting me with the samurai, I cried out to the Lord to help me. And they said, why do you shout to the Lord? Your Lord cannot save you from us. After the Muslims cut me, they covered my body with banana leaves, and they tried to light them on fire, but the leaves were too green and would not burn. In their frustration, before they left, the jihad troops stabbed me with a samurai sword, this time striking me in my back and legs. I inched my way along the ground until I found refuge in a nearby cave. Weak and bleeding from his wound, Johannes stumbled through the jungle for eight days, crying out for help. He was finally discovered by his brother-in-law and was taken to the hospital for medical treatment. While I lay weak and bleeding in the jungle, I prayed to God saying, I could not bear this trial anymore. I begged him to take my life, but I felt him telling me, this is not your time to leave this world. Today, Johannes sees the multiple scars on his body as badges of honor for Jesus. He says he forgives his attackers as our Father in heaven forgives us. 
I believe God allowed all this to happen to me because He wanted to change my life and use me for His purposes. Before this happened, I never dreamed I'd be an evangelist. Now, I want to be a missionary to the people of Halmahara. I pray for my attackers, that God will bless them. I want to see them again. I will thank them for attacking me and tell them that because of them, I have become close to God. Are you there yet? <laughs> I'm not there yet. He wants to go thank his attackers and be a missionary to them. And he prays for them. Sometimes we have a problem praying for people who've just said a snotty comment to us. Did you see the way they looked at me at church? Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? And then we go to pray for them. We're like, God, I'm just not praying for them. I'm sorry. And here's this guy who, who, who is grateful that he has endured persecution because it's made him what he ought to be. And now he's more zealous. See, they can't squelch it. All of a sudden, when you have heaven as the thing that's, that, 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 that is really staring you in the face, nobody can do anything to hinder you from doing what God wants you to do. Nothing, no pressure, no, no problem, no lust, no will hinder it. So how do you respond to persecution? I'm, not, I'm just going to hit the high points. Count yourself crucified. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Do you consider yourself already dead? What can man do to you? If your life's truly not your own, you know what's the problem with most people around the United States is they don't see Christians willing to go to the fullest extent. You guys really don't believe that stuff. And they, don't, they, 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 don't, they rarely see somebody who says, you know what, Jesus truly is everything. And somebody who will stand up for what they believe in. Somebody who will say the truth and just love on people anyway. Most, most people around the United States, they're like, dude, I don't even know because you guys, you know, you have a hard time just, just staying the truth, you know, in a work environment. You know, working for peace, I'll say this. I didn't, I didn't think about this until just now. Working for peace means, and you may face persecution for this, when you don't congregate at the water fountain at work. Or when you don't hang out at the barbershop and say all kinds of everything, all the other, other stuff, slander and gossip and stuff that's going on there. And you say, you know what, I'm not getting involved in that. And all of a sudden, all your buddies, you thought were buddies, are like, dude, you're nuts. What are you doing? That may cost you some friendships and things of that nature, but you know what? It's the right thing to do, especially if around that water fountain and stuff, strife's getting stirred up all the time at work. You know what I mean? Count yourself crucified. Consider the company you're in. Does the name Jesus mean anything to you? When you suffer from doing what's right, you're aligning yourself with him. That's awesome. What about Peter? How about James? How about Paul? How about John? How about Elijah? How about Jeremiah? How about Elisha? See the kind of company you're, you're, you're aligning yourself with when you, when you live this kind of lifestyle? Good names, right? People that one day will inherit the kingdom of heaven alongside of us. People we will want to ask questions of about how they did what they did and how God helped them. Aren't you one day looking forward to that? And all of a sudden when you make stands for Christ and you choose the, e the hard way rather than the easy way and you say, what? This is right. It's just right. It's always right. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to do it. All of a sudden you step in line with them and like, dude, I'm right here. I'm going to be in that company of people. I'm not quite there. I want to be badly. I can't see me being. Think of Peter and John. They, one day, Acts chapter 2, they, Peter gets a chance to preach. Thousands come to, the, come to the, 
knowledge of Christ, that one moment, the very next chapter, what happens to them? They heal a guy, and what, what's it get them? It gets them in prison. They're drugged before the Sanhedrin. Don't you preach in Jesus anymore? And they go right back to their friends, the companions, the Bible says. They pray to speak more boldly, and they go right back to the street corner and get right back about doing it. I want to be aligned with those guys. Am I right? Love the persecutor just like Johannes did. You've heard the law says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, Jesus' words, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of God, your Father in heaven. Wow. Be patient and gentle. We work warily with our own hands to earn our living, Paul writes. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash. Right up to this present moment, he says. And press towards the prize. This is what will get you through any kind of persecution, any kind of problem of a dilemma of faith, whether you should do the right thing or not. Press toward the prize. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I kind of accidentally started an altar call last service. I didn't mean to. All of a sudden, people were standing all over the place. So I, I don't know whether I can accidentally do it again or not. I will be honest. After watching Johannes on that screen, I am not quite there yet. I cannot see me at this point in my life going, okay, I love those guys. Thanks for the wounds. Thanks for the, the, the chop on the ear. Thanks for trying to burn me up and banana things. I just, I, I'm, I'm struggling there. But I want to tell you something. Right standing in front of you right now, I want to be that guy. I want to be where this gospel is everything. And whether I've got a big screen TV or not means nothing. Whether I've got a house whether I've got a car, whether I've got anything, whether I've got notoriety and spoke well of in public anymore, I want to be that person where that stuff just does not matter ever again in my life. And I am not quite there yet. I want to be there. I want to be one who can love my persecutor. I want to be one who Jesus can trust me with the, the, the treasures of his kingdom because he knows this world has no hold on me whatsoever. And I would stand before you today and I would say, you know what, Jesus, here I am. I'm not there, but I want to be. I'm not there, but I want to be. I want to be a person of the kingdom like the Beatitudes describe, that I recognize my poverty. I want to be humble. I want to be in mourning about the things that make you mourn, God. I want to be hunger and thirst after righteousness. All those things that are in there. I want to be a peacemaker. God, I want to be all that, but I haven't, I'm still struggling, Lord. Help me. And if you're that person, Jesus would recognize your extension towards him and he will meet you where you are if you really mean that that might mean some problems i will tell you that you might wake up tomorrow and find yourself in the worst limber you ever had at your workplace about standing up for what's right because god's going to answer that prayer he's going to test your metal he's going to allow you to grow in the things you've asked him about but the thing is 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 the kingdom of heaven really the thing that's most important to you those of you who've been who sit here week after week this is not a gospel just to show up on Sunday morning and to go to church and to maybe attend a connection group during the week. This is supposed to be the gospel of life. The disciples looked at Jesus. Jesus said, everybody else is leaving. Where are you guys going? And they said, Jesus, we have no place else to go. 
you have the words of life, and wherever you lead, we will follow. They didn't know what that would cost him. Eventually, it would cost him everything. He's looking for people who do the same thing. Father, I stand before you this morning, Lord. And again, I say, Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not there. I want to be that kingdom-minded person that Jesus describes. Lord, I stand before you today, Lord, and I say, Jesus, I want to love those who persecute me. I want to forgive those who've done me harm. I want to be patient and gentle with those who've spoken ill of me and falsely accused me of things. And Lord, I want to be that person who strives for the reconciliation of you and the human race always in all circumstances. I want to be a person you could trust to go to Haiti and I just lay my life down and just, just give out a glass of water. Lord, I, I want to be that person, Jesus. I don't know that I'm there yet, but Lord, I want to be. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, for all those in this room right here, right now, who, who, who that's the prayer of their heart. Lord, I'm not there, but I want it. And their heart pounds inside their chest. And God, their, their eyes well with tears, Lord. And their, 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 their lives are, 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 are constantly changing into what you want them to be. And Lord, they recognize, Lord Jesus, without you, they're nothing. Father, I pray you would see the hearts and the lives of the people. I'm just going to do what I did last service. You know, maybe God's dealing with you about that. And you know what? You, you, you recognize you've had opportunities to stand up and you didn't. I want to give you an opportunity just right here in this place to make a, to, to make a stand. I'm not big about outward shows and things. I don't do sign-up seats. We talked about that last week with fasting and all that stuff. I'd really much rather God do it. But you know, I know something else. If you can't stand up for what's going on in, 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 for Jesus in this place, you won't ever stand up out there someplace. And if you would just be honest with yourself, with the Lord, and say, you know what, I'm not there, but I want to be, and you just stand up right here in front of God and everybody, I think God will meet you there. I think you've got to start taking that first step of faith and say, you know what, I am not there. I want to be one who will, who is willing and ready to endure persecution. I'm willing to give it all. And, man, not, not to do it just because everybody else is doing it. Man, if, you, if, you, if you're not there, just you're not even at that point, don't, don't stand up. Be honest. But if you are, I think God's saying, you know what? Build me an army. Jump in rank. Lord, you see the people who are standing right now. You see the people whose hearts, God, are, are, are aching to be that person. You see those who are sitting, God, who say, Lord, I want to be there. I'm just not even to the point where I can even ask for that. I don't even know. Lord, I pray, God, you'd meet each of them where they are. I pray, Father God, that tomorrow, God, as they face dilemmas and things in their workplace, God, the right thing will be the only thing they can consider, the only option that they have. I pray, God, as they're going through situations with their family, that, Lord Jesus, you would meet them and that you would say, they would say, God, whatever. For those, God, you're calling them to a greater ministry and it may cost them all that they have I pray God they'd hear your voice and you'd, they'd step up God and allow you to do what you need to do through them and God they'd be willing to suffer for your namesake Lord I want to be there with my brothers and sisters we cry out Lord now to make us those people God truly make us church triumphant who are all about winning who are all about discipling who are all about sending and being sent God to, to propagate your gospel anywhere and everywhere God what we've had is not enough what we've been doing God is not sufficient, but God, we want to excel and grow in the things of the kingdom. We want to be your people. We will be recognized as children of God, people of the kingdom. And God, today, I ask God, you would see these outstretched hands. You would see these lifted up hearts. And God, you would do something that only you can do. And you would bring 
God, a change on the inside, an attitude adjustment, God, that leads them to greater things in your kingdom. And they lead, let the things of the earth fall down, let the things of, of the, the temporary be gone, and the things of the eternal, God, will grow up and rise up, God, and be the only thing that they're motivated by. Your love, your joy, your peace, God, your kingdom and your salvation. God, heaven is their home. All those things, God, will be first and foremost. God, I speak your blessing over them, and I ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to be given. And I pray, Jesus, you would burn off all the residue of, uh, of the, the affairs of this life. God, we are, we are your people. We want to be your children. God, I declare your goodness over them. God, as they offer themselves in an act of surrender, standing today in front of everybody, Lord, I pray, Jesus, you would meet them where they are and that, God, you would change their life forever. I want you right now as you stand, lift up your hands, and I want you to make a real moment between you and the Father. Not, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm not going to ask you to re repeat a prayer after me. I want you to offer yourself and those things of your life that hinder you, that keep you from focusing on heaven, that keep you from standing up for what's right. I want you to offer those things to him right here, right now. The book of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. I believe he will consume that stuff so it's not even a big deal anymore in your life. The Bible says judgment should start with the house of God. So we're going to judge ourselves right here, right now. We're going to give ourselves back wholly to him and ask him to meet us here and change our lives. Lord Jesus, let our treasure be only the things of heaven. And let us trade in our bad treasure, God, for the good treasure. God, we offer all of it to you at the altar right now, Jesus. We stand before you. Lord Jesus, show yourself strong in our lives. I didn't say this in the first service, but I think there's some people here, I think God wants you to go home. Now, I think he wants you to write a, a, like, a, like a, a letter or a, a paper that says, you know what, God, this is where, these are the things I'm going to strive for. Maybe there's a particular situation at work you know somebody needs to step up and take care of, and nobody's done it yet, and, you just, and I want you to write that thing down. I want you to post it on your refrigerator, on your dashboard, on your, I don't care where, your mirror in the bathroom. I don't care where it's at. And until you step up and do it, I want that thing to stare you in the face. Maybe it's something to do with a family member. Maybe it's something to do with, I don't know. Make that commitment real. Let it stare you right in the face. Holy Spirit, we, come, we, we ask for your presence. It's your anointing that makes the difference, Lord. We can make commitments. We can do all sorts of things. But Jesus, you said without you, we could do nothing. And so, Lord, the people of Church Triumphant today covet your anointing, covet the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus. God, to so saturate our lives that, God, we cannot help but walk with you. We cannot help but stand for you. We cannot help but propagate your gospel that your word and your truth is all that will come out of our mouths, Lord. Lord, do that work, Jesus, I pray. Lord, you're great and you're mighty. You are the king. We are your subjects. Do what you wish with our lives, Father. Let this week be different than any other week we've ever lived, Lord. But we bless you and we honor you. You're great, Jesus. In your name we pray.